When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Salernitana match review episode, and I'm joined by a guest to help me out with that. He is responsible for social media for the Napoli Club Toronto Daniel Del Grosso, welcome to Forza Napoli. Hey, Joe, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's uh, truly an honor being on uh, the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. I mean, you and I speak pretty much on a weekly basis because yeah. you happen to work <laughs> where my son plays soccer. So, uh, you know, it's probably been a long time coming. And and this is a good episode to bring you on because, like I said, we're going to review the match against Lernitana, but we're also going to chat a little bit about the Primavera at the end of the episode. And you're one of the few people I know that watches the Primavera as much as I do. So the timing worked out really well for that. But let's start with that Salernitana match. As everyone knows by now, Napoli won 2-0 on goals from Giovanni Di Lorenzo and Victor Osimen. But it wasn't necessarily easy. And that's where I want to start off. Danny, Salernitana got hammered 8-2 by Atalanta in the previous round. Were you surprised that it was so difficult for Napoli to score in this match? For me, no, not really, because of circumstances priding into the game. Again, against Curimonese, I know we were playing a lot of our backups and stuff, but just that result, especially because a lot of starters ended up coming on during the match. So I felt like that match was going to kind of like tie into this one, just not be starting off on the flat floor, just trying to look for their confidence back. And Salietano, they always usually, especially like the past few years when they got promoted last year, they usually tend to play us tough no matter what to begin the game. So it's always like a difficult match. And you have to think of it too because it's a rivalry. It's a, it's a little derby. It's not as well known as, say, a Manchester derby, but still a Campania derby. So anytime a team from a local region is going to play Napoli, they're going to play them tough no matter what. But it was also good that Napoli didn't get frustrated because usually in matches in the past, you would see them get frustrated throughout the game and, them not generating any chances, but this match was a perfect example of them just keeping their heads up, keeping their cool, and just not letting Salietana frustrate them, which they did a good job doing throughout the majority of the first half. But as you saw, uh, Napoli found a way to pop two goals in and pick up the win. Yeah, that Cremonese match, I mean, even though we started really our entire bench, the only player that you know, that was in the squad against Juventus was Alex Meret. Every other player changed. There was still a little bit of that doubt of, you know, how would that result affect the team, perhaps mentally? And once again, they responded with a victory. 
I was not surprised at all with the way Salernitana played in this match. I think after such a heavy defeat, I figured their primary objective would be to avoid another heavy defeat. And I don't think they minded a loss as long as it was a respectable loss. No one was expecting Salernitana to beat Napoli, let's be honest. In a way, it felt like the first match played under a new coach, which technically it was. It just so happened that the new coach was also the previous coach. Davide Nicola was fired for about 48 hours uh, between the loss to Atalanta and this match. The rumors of Nicola playing a back four turned out to be true. One thing I didn't think of in my preview, but I probably should have, was that Nicola would play with a 4-5-1 formation. I knew for sure it wouldn't be a 4-4-3 because that would be too attack-minded. I thought it might be a 4-4-2, which I suppose it was a 4-4-2 in the attack, but in defense it was a 4-5-1 with Bulaidia playing as a wide player for the first time. That is ultra conservative, so it's no surprise that Napoli had a ton of the ball, but had a hard time breaking through in that first half. We didn't score until the very end of the half. It was literally the final kick of the first half. Prior to that goal, were you concerned that this match might actually end up nil-nil? Or were you confident that if Napoli kept on pressing and pushing forward and doing what they do, that they would eventually break through? Yeah, no, uh, throughout the first half up to the final kick i was both sides of me kicked in like the are we really gonna drop points to salitano or are we gonna maybe find a late goal maybe mid-second half i had both thoughts in my head but as now we had more possession i go they're not salitano are not even threatening going forward there there's been a few chances here and there where piotr did well to hold up the ball win fouls you which you won a lot of them throughout the game it was just that final piece that Napoli were missing and beautiful build-up to the goal. And prior to the goal, we actually did score, but it was ruled offside. So once that happened, I'm like, you know what? Napoli are able to get into these good positions, especially in the final third. They're just missing that final piece. Again, once again, it's a it's a common theme with Napoli because it seems like they have a lot of games, especially in the past, where they were missing that final piece. And a few times this year, they were, they were missing that just final ball, that final finish. But... Beautiful work by Ruri and Nguisa to connect on the goal and beautiful ball to uh, find Di Lorenzo who placed it perfectly. That was a beautiful finish, from, especially from a right back who hasn't scored much this year. He's, I think he had one goal prior to that goal and it was just a perfect passage of play. And the commentator on football, which we have here in Canada, he said best, he goes, there's no team in Italy that plays like Napoli, when they can play, when they play soccer, that's how soccer is supposed to be played. And that final, say the final kick of the first half, I thought the ref was going to call it when Agisa did that little body fake. I thought the ref was going to call it right there. So when I saw him do that and I saw the play continue, I go, oh my God, he got into the perfect position. A beautiful ball by Rui to set him up. And Agisa, perfect pass to find Di Lorenzo, who was at the back post and made a perfect finish. So prior to that goal, it was mixed emotions for me but once Napoli got that debatable really close offside call I should say then I felt more confident that we were going to find a goal sooner or later yeah so it was Di Lorenzo's first goal in Serie A this season I think his second in all competitions because his other Champions League in the Champions League that's right on Fubo here we get the English world feed so the match was called by Patrick Hendrick and Lorenzo Amoruso, who I'm going to come back to because I thought he made a couple of excellent points on Victor Osiman. I agree with you. I was only a little bit worried in that first half. I thought we were extremely patient in the buildup, though at times it looked like we were forcing our passes a little bit, which may have been a sign of frustration, but I think the players were also very clearly to me directed to get the ball to Victor Osiman. So it looked like they were looking for him and Sometimes the passes might have not been the best options. This was probably the perfect type of match to have a player like Hvica Karaskelia because mm-hmm. when an opponent is playing in a low block like that, he's the type of creative and unpredictable player that can make something out of nothing. Unfortunately, he missed a second consecutive match due to the flu. The reports on Monday were that he recovered and that he will be ready for the Roma match on Sunday. Apparently, he even trained on the off day, I guess, just to get that extra training session in, which is a good sign. But in general, I don't get too concerned about until the hour mark. 
I like to wait and see if anything changes after the coach gives his halftime talk before I start to worry. Thankfully, we didn't have to wait until the second half, which helped put the mind at ease. It seemed to me that Spalletti was expecting that low block as well, and he countered it by instructing his fullbacks to get forward. As we saw against Inted, when the opponent plays in a low block, you tend to be at a numerical disadvantage in the opponent's half. And that's just a fancy way of saying that you're outnumbered because traditionally the back four stays in line against a low block and they usually hang out around midfield. So by getting your fullbacks to join the attack, then you remove that numerical disadvantage. The key is that the fullbacks are aware of each other's positions because what you don't want to happen is for both fullbacks to join the attack at the same time because then when that happens, you risk getting caught on the counterattack with only two players or two center backs left back to defend. And that's sort of what happened on the once learning Tana chance about midway through the first half where Di Lorenzo got caught up and Piontek got a decent chance, but Meret made the save. It was actually a fairly easy save for him in that instance. Other than that chance, though, I thought Di Lorenzo and Mario Rui did a good job of covering for each other. It seemed like Di Lorenzo was getting forward more than Mario Rui was. That obviously paid off with the goal. You already sort of gave your thoughts on the goal, but did you see the celebration between Anguista yeah. and Mario Rui after the that goal? That was awesome. Like, and that's something that, for me, I've never seen that in the past. I feel like this is a completely different team, and I feel like now they all have each other's back no matter who plays no matter if it's Zedaka no matter if it's Zerbin Ruri Agisa they all they're like one collective group for the first time in a while before you would see yeah guys like Insigne celebrating with like Osimhen and Mertens but I wonder if the same thing if Zangisa would have scored say a goal like if that goal would have happened last year say you wonder if those guys would be celebrating with each other or if they would just go to whoever scored the goal it's an awesome sight to see. And that's what you need in a team. You need them to be one big group, not just relying on a bunch of individuals. Beautiful goal, too. And guy gave Mira Rui a lot of credit, man. He, from a few years ago, this guy was, you can say, like one of the, like the, a position that we talked about. Oh, we need an upgrade, definitely. We need an upgrade, this, this, and this. Now it seems like you can't really, it depends on the type of game, but. Oliveira is solid. He, I, I feel like he's been a very solid pickup for us when he, he has played. But it feels like Rui, you can't take him out of the lineup because of how important he is. And I feel like he's a he's a teammate that everyone's starting to like too because he defends teammates whenever a situation happens. You know he's one of the first ones in there. He's always getting in there. He's always he's got grita. He's got uh, he's a bull. He's a little bull on the, the fullback position. He's becoming a fan favorite throughout the whole Napoli community. And it's just awesome to see how him and Nagisa, they were just celebrating with each other before they went to Di Lorenzo, and it was just an awesome sight to see. Yeah, uh, Henry Bell, who co-hosts the In the Shadow of Vesuvius podcast on the Far From Vesuvius Network, was on the uh, Gentleman Ultra podcast with Frank, and he gave Mario Rui a lot of love, deservedly, and in that episode, he actually said, you know, Mario Rui is the real captain of this team. He doesn't wear the armbands, but to your point, when you see how he gets in the faces of other players, he leads by example, and then he's delivering on the pitch as well. And we'll come back to that because he was also an important part of the second goal. You know, he really has turned things around from a couple of seasons ago when everybody was saying that the biggest weakness on this team was at left back. I mentioned my son earlier and and you working at where he plays. One of the greatest joys I get from seeing my son play is how he celebrates when one of his teammates scores. I mean, everybody celebrates yeah. when they score a goal, my son included, probably more than anyone. <laughs> but uh, but I love when players who didn't score celebrate as if they did. And that's exactly what we saw from Mario Rui and Anguisa there. They're both great team players, to your point. Of course, the finish from Di Lorenzo was unbelievable off the bar and in. Contrary to what I said a moment ago, both fullbacks got forward on this goal, though perhaps they were willing to take more risk on that play because they knew the half was about to end. And it wasn't the first time Di Lorenzo got forward either. In the 34th minute, he played that ridiculous ball on the Osman goal you mentioned that was disallowed. That was still a ridiculous finish by yeah. Osman. The goal was ruled out by the VAR because he was just fractionally offside. It was one of those plays that I wonder if the result would have been different with semi-automated offside technology because it was so close. Like we're talking about 
inches or centimeters. That would have been Osiman's league-leading 13th goal of the season, but he didn't have to wait too long to get that goal. Three minutes into the second half, he put in the rebound after Alif Elmas hit the upright. Then it seems like Osiman just can't do wrong at the moment. Yeah, I agree. And for me, it's just, it feels like, I don't want to cause like controversy, but currently Osiman's playing as like a top five, top seven striker in the world. He's doing everything right. And it seems like every game he can score two to three goals a game. And he could have scored, I think, a couple of chances he had here too. Ochoa made a ridiculous save. I don't know how he made this save, but Osiman could have had maybe three goals this game. He had one disallowed. He got one in the end. Ochoa made a beautiful save. And it seems like Osiman's just playing into the role and into the potential that us Napoli fans want to play as. He's doing a lot right. He's doing well. And it seems like he's improving with his strength, especially with the hold-up play. There's been times where we all question, is he a very good hold-up striker? And there's been times where we go, yeah, this guy's got strength. He's got speed. This guy, if the ball's in behind and he's running onto it, good luck catching him. Unless he takes a poor touch, good luck catching him because this guy, once he has the ball in his feet and he's running through on goal, no one's catching him. And he's got so much confidence in him that he feels like he can do anything. And there was times throughout the year where Osimhen made a goal or generated a foul out of nothing, out of a play that normal strikers would just either lose the ball or foul out midfield. Perfect example, Atalanta, he generated a beautiful chance when he ran through Demiel against Roma where he judged a perfect mistake by Smalling and absolutely ridiculous finish from a angle that you go holy cow and just goals are here and there too like just like he's been unbelievable and for me I feel like he's been playing as a top five striker as of right now he he's been in form he's leading the Serie A on goals and it seems like he's doing everything right at the moment and Hopefully he continues because he's a big factor for us. And if he can continue to score for now till God willing, hopefully the end of the season, it's going to look good for Napa. And they got, he's someone that you have to really focus on because this guy can score maybe two or three goals a game at, at this current pace. Yeah. The other thing is he seems to have learned to control his emotions and he's become a bit of a leader on the team. So He's doing everything right. I don't think anyone would argue with you, to be honest, on Osiman being a top five striker in Europe right now, because I really do think he is. Since returning from his thigh injury in October, Osiman has scored 11 goals in 10 league matches. And during that stretch, he also picked up two assists. He drew a penalty kick against Empoli and he drew a red card against Sampdoria. So as I said, he leads the league now with 13 goals scored, although his compatriot, Adam Ola-Lukman, is only two goals behind him, which is actually pretty cool that the top two goal scorers in the league are both from Nigeria. Mind you, three of Lukman's goals have been from the penalty spot, while all of Osimhen's goals have been from open play. I mentioned Lorenzo Amoruso earlier. He made a great point about Osimhen during the broadcast, which is that he has such great timing. Even on that goal that was disallowed, he was fractionally offside like he was just barely offside so he nearly timed that one to perfection and then again on this goal he managed to stay onside and it was very similar to the goal he scored against Juventus now you can say that he just happened to be in the right place at the right time but I think that's a sign of a player with a very high football IQ who can read the play and know where he needs to position himself to get to that rebound I mentioned Mario Rui earlier as well. He made a couple of important contributions in the build-up to that goal. First, he was the one that played the long through ball to Zielinski to start the play. And then he played the return pass on the given goal with Ali Velmes. And then finally, after that, he made the run towards the left side of the area, which pulled the defenders off of Elmas just enough for Elmas to make that clever turn towards the middle of the park and to shoot. It was a great hit by Elmas as well. Once again, he is making the most of the opportunities that he is getting to play. But back to Osimhen, like you said, he probably could have scored two more goals in this match. Aside from the goals that were disallowed, he actually had two chances that were well stopped by Ochoa. There was a volley from the corner kick in the first half, and then there was the header in the second half. Ochoa has actually been excellent for Salernitana since they signed him, and 
they've still managed to concede 13 goals in four games. Sepp is hurt, so I just shudder to think of how many goals they might have conceded if their backups, Alessandro Mikai or Vincenzo Fiorillo, were in goal. And no, I don't just happen to know that off the top of my head. I had to look that up. Speaking of goalkeepers, Alex Meret made another ridiculous save, this time on Christoph Piontek in the 83rd minute. Danny, can we finally put to bed the notion that Meret is Napoli's weakest player or that Meret could cost us a Scudetto? For me, I don't think he personally would cost us a Scudetto because there's been a lot of times this year where he saved us. And especially against Salitana, I believe it was, I want to say it was 2 nothing at the point where he made that save or it was even one nothing. He made the save and it was like, what a save he made. Because if that goes in, you know, it's a different game. And we've seen Napoli where they've conceded goals late and then we have to worry for the last 10 plus minutes. So that save right there, it was a ridiculous save. And especially as a goalkeeper or myself, never played at any high level. But just the, the save he made just to get fingertips to have it off the post. It was just a ridiculous save. It was one. It was a save that a lot of people go, oh, nice save. But for me, it, was, it meant more, obviously, as an Napoli fan, to keep the clean sheet, to keep momentum on our side. But just as a confidence, because Marat had nothing to, realistically, he maybe had to make maybe two or three saves all game, two of them on Piotek, uh, but he really didn't have to do much. And for him to make that save, still keeping his mind in the game, like saying, okay, I got to make this save or else, I got worried because there's sometimes where in games a team could be in control and then the goalkeeper just ends up mentally falls asleep. They get one back and then all of a sudden you have to worry because they're going to be under pressure the whole game. For me, that save was unbelievable. And you can argue too, there's been times where Maret won us games. And even like, I believe it was against Juventus too, the same thing. We were winning 2-1. Romani... Bad deflection off him. It could have been an own goal. Marat made another huge save, and we ended up winning that game 5-1. Or who knows? We could be talking about a different part for that Juve game. So for me, I think Marat, I don't think he'll cost us a Scudetto. Obviously, there's going to be times where he's got to do better, but he's taking a big step now than he was at uh, last year. And I'm very happy because it was, goalkeeping was a position that a lot of the fans wanted to upgrade because we didn't trust Marat. But now that Maret's getting a lot more games, you can see his confidence is kind of getting back to where he was and the potential he was getting at when Napoli first signed him. So hopefully it continues, and I'm praying it does because he's been a huge part for us, and he's made some big saves that kept us in games, that kept us winning games, and hopefully it continues because he's been proven that he looks like he can be one of the best keepers in the league. And as of right now, he's playing like a top five top seven keeper in the league so hopefully he can continue that yeah to clarify i was actually referring to the comments earlier in the season when you know napoli had a great summer but some people were a little skeptical that when we didn't sign keppa or killer Navas, yeah. that I that, that could be the, yeah and and to be fair a lot of people were i had my doubts as well i'm biased because i've been supporting medet for a while now but I think he's been excellent all season. I mean, I went yeah. back and watched all of our highlights from this season, which is a lot more fun when most of those matches are wins. <laughs> and what I saw was much of the same. Like, even though he's not tested often, which makes his life actually more difficult because he has to stay focused, he seems to make at least one big save in every match we play. He made a big save on Jared Delofeo against Udinese, which was the yeah. final match before the World Cup break. We ended up winning that game 3-2. to two. Against Empoli, he made a big save on Nadim Bayrami. Before that, he made big saves on Rasmus Hoyland, and I think it was Joachim Meili in the Atalanta match. We won that game by one goal as well. Against Sassuolo, he made a big save on Armand Lariente, though we probably would have won that match regardless. The weakest goals he conceded this season were to Musa Barrow in the win over Bologna and to Antonio Sanabria in the win over Torino before that game, but... I mean, the Barrow goal was really bad. I don't blame him too much for the Sanabria goal, but if you want to, fine. But before them, he made big saves on Olivier Giroud and Radi Krunic in the win over Milan. He made a big save on Emmanuel Giassi in the win over Spezia. Before that, he made an important save on Felipe Anderson in the win over Lazio, and all three of those wins were by a single goal. And even though we didn't beat Lecce, he stopped the penalty kick in that match as well. So yeah. 
you know, instead of talking about how many points Meret might cost us this season, I think we probably need to start talking about how many points Meret has earned for us this season. Going back to that save on Piontek, as you said earlier, the score was actually 2-0 at that point. But if yeah. Piontek scores, it's 2-1, and the final 10 minutes of the match would have been very intense. So Lernitana did the exact same thing a few weeks ago to Milan, and they just barely hung on for the win. Instead, we coasted fairly easily to the win in this match. It was Meret's 10th clean sheet and 26 appearances in all competitions this season. Yes, 26 appearances, which means he's played every single minute of every Napoli match this season. He even played a friendly, I think, back in November. Now, clean sheets are technically goalkeeper stats, but they're not solely attributable to the goalkeeper. Obviously, the ball possession game that we play means our opponents don't create many chances in the first place. And when we don't have the ball, we've defended really well. Our entire back line has had a great season so far. Another great point that Lorenzo Amoruso made on the broadcast was how well Napoli counterpress. As soon as we conceded possession, our players collectively pressed to win the ball back as quickly as yep. possible. You know, it was the classic Gengen press that we tend to associate with Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool in the past few seasons, maybe less so this season. You put all of that together, combined with Juve conceding eight goals in their last two matches, five of which were scored by us, of course. And all of a sudden, Napoli have the best defensive record in the league. We conceded 14 goals in the Girona di Andata. Juve and Lazio conceded 15, and Roma conceded 16. Now, that Piontek chance, which again was in the 83rd minute, seemed to be a bit of a wake-up call for Luciano Spalletti, who still had not made any substitutions to that point. After that chance, he immediately made two substitutions, and then he made a third substitution a few minutes later. Do you think Spalletti waited perhaps a little bit too long to make any changes? Yeah, I do. And... That's one thing I would question about Spalletti a lot of times. It's just his timing of substitutions. And I feel like guys like Raspadori, Simeone, even Ndombele at times, because those are the subs that we kind of use the most, Politano, Zano, whatever, whoever's on the bench at the time. I feel like whenever a game is like he thinks it's one, he won't make subs until the 85th minute. But sometimes you need to make subs earlier. I know you don't want to change, you completely change the game plan, but guys like, Simeone shouldn't be playing five minutes a game. He's the type of guy, if you bring him on, especially in certain games, he can win you a game. So, And we've seen in the past where Simeone's come on and he's averaging a goal every 70 minutes. I know that could be taken out of context because he doesn't play as much, but this guy's a goal scorer when he comes on. Raspadori is the type of player, if he can come on the, off the bench, he can change the game. Even Almas, too, when he doesn't start, he's a game changer off the bench. Lozano, depending on what type of games... He can be called on upon even earlier in the second half, make that substitution on the half, even in the 50th minute. There's a lot of times where he just, Spalletti just waits, and it's like, but why can't you make the sub earlier? Why do you have to wait till this? This game, maybe I would say I could give him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt because Simeone did play 120 minutes, plus he took a penalty shot midweek against the Cunimonese, so I can understand why him. But Guys like Raspadori, who came up early, and the Dombele should have came on a little bit earlier, I thought. And it was funny at the end of the game, too. I I'm, I want to know if you caught this, too. There's a time where Zerbin was getting ready to come on, and by the time he got he stood up, kind of, the game was over, and then he had to, like, grab his stuff and then walk to the field. So I thought that was funny, too. Like just And that goes back to our point that he did wait a little bit too late to bring these guys in. And that's the one thing a lot of us – there's not much – you can doubt or question Spalletti on this year. There's a few times he may have gotten the game plan wrong, but just the one thing that a lot of us question is just why does he wait a little too late to make those substitutions? I understand there's a game plan that he's trying to follow, but a lot of times where you need someone to come off the bench, why you wait till the 75th minute where you can bring him in even in the 70th or maybe around the 68th, 67th minute, just to give him some time because a player can't really settle into the game in five minutes. You need to give him maybe max 10 minutes or so. There's like certain types of players that they need to get a feel for the game. And a lot of times when you see guys like Raspadori come in, even if it's like in the 80th minute, he's a little off because he hasn't really settled into the game. So I feel like Spalletti waits a little too long to make substitutions. 
this game, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Not be one, so I don't really mind it too much. And especially because a lot of these guys played midweek against Cudurmanese, a very tough game, very wet game, you could say too, because of the conditions of the field. It did go 120 minutes plus penalty kicks. So a few subs I would have made a little bit earlier just to make sure they, they're not as tired as they did if they played the 90th minute. But throughout the season, hopefully we can see Spalletti maybe changing the games earlier, making some subs earlier. And yeah, because you just need these guys to get in and can't really have them play five minutes and then expect them to do much. You got to get them settled in, give them maybe 10, 15 minutes, and hopefully they can produce off the bench. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to see him use his substitutes a bit more often or even rotate a bit more as the season progresses and guys are starting to get tired. I did catch that moment with Zerbin where he, he started to get ready to come on and then all of a sudden he was putting his clothes back on. It looked like it was going to be the classic Italian substitute where you make a change in stoppage time just to kill 30 seconds or a minute or whatever and the official blew the match anyways. I wonder if Spalletti was a little bit spooked by what happened in the midweek Coppa Italia lost to Cremonese because in that game he made a number of changes with Napoli leading and it kind of backfired. It seemed like we got worse. We conceded the late goal. It goes to shootout. Then we lose the match. Up until that Piontek chance, we seem to have the match pretty well under control. Also, because the way the match was played, the ball was doing most of the work. So we weren't really exerting a whole lot of energy. And I'm sure Spalletti was also well aware that we had a full week off between this match and the Roma one, which is you know a rare midweek fixture that we don't have. So the guys would have plenty of time to recover from the match. Okay, that will do for part one. In part two, we'll chat quickly about the Primavera. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to part two of the Fortsonopoly podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and at our website at fortsanapolipress.com. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the Primavera. I got a request for an update from at Januzaj Stan on Twitter. You might know him better as the Flying Dutchman. The last update I provided took us up to match day 12, so I'm not going to spend too much time on those matches. If you want to hear my thoughts on that part of the season, then head back and check out episode 36. At that point, we were sitting 14th in the table, which was just one point clear of the relegation playoff zone. We've had four matches since then, so let me do a quick rundown of how those matches went. And then we can get your thoughts on the team in general or maybe some players that have stood out to you. Also, I'm going to run through these results pretty quickly. But if you're looking for more detailed match reviews in English, then head over to the Primavera page of ForzaNapoliPress.com. So our first game in 2023 was against Milan, which finished 2-2. Milan is a direct rival of ours at the bottom of the Primavera Uno table. So on the face of it, this may have seemed like a decent result, but the way it happened actually made it very disappointing. Francesco Gioielli opened the scoring in the first half, and Alessandro Spavone doubled our lead in the second half, so we were actually up 2-0, which is what made the draw disappointing. Milan pulled one back in the 57th minute. We were a little bit unfortunate there in the sense that we were temporarily playing with only 10 men after Matteo Marquisano went off with an injury. Milan dominated for the balance of the match, so maybe the result was fair in terms of the balance of play, but we resisted all the way until the 97th minute when they scored the equalizer. So again, that was a very disappointing result. The next two matches we played were against Juventus, first in the Coppa Italia and then in Primavera Uno. 
Those two matches happen to be on either side of the senior team's 5-1 win over Juve. We won both of those Primavera matches, so in the span of five days, the two Napoli teams picked up three victories over Juventus, which is always great. The Coppa Italia match didn't go as well as the Primavera Uno match did. Juve opened the scoring in that one, but shortly before the end of the first half, Jonas Rauhi misread the switch for Lamine Nyingue. Anyone who might have watched Napoli play in the UEFA Youth League would know that Lamine has incredible pace on that right wing. So when he headed the ball past Rauhi, the Juve defender had no choice but to pull Lamine down, and as a result, he was shown a straight red card. That seemed to balance the scales a little bit because Juve were clearly the better side to that point. Actually, Napoli dominated the second half with the man advantage. We created chance after chance and corner after corner, and eventually Juve succumbed to the pressure. Leonardo Rossi blasted a shot in from the edge of the area straight into the top corner. It was a beautiful shot to level the score at 1. Extra time settled nothing, so the match was decided by a penalty shootout. Alastui, Marquisano, Spavone, and Gioielli all converted their penalty kicks. Meanwhile, Juve missed their third, and Napoli's backup goalkeeper, Claudio Tiburi, stopped the fourth. So Napoli are on to play in the quarterfinals against league leaders Roma. That match is on Wednesday, so by the time you hear this, that match might have already been played. The second victory over Juve was a little bit more comfortable. That was match day 14 of the Primavera Uno campaign. Spavone scored his first half brace to give Napoli a two-goal lead at halftime. However, unlike the Milan match, this time we held on for the win. Juve pulled one back from the spot in the 74th minute. Personally, I thought it was a questionable decision from the official. The ball hit the hand of Pasquale Maranzino in the area, but... I don't think his arm was in an unnatural position. It looked like it was tucked pretty close to his body to me. Fortunately, we hung on for that victory. And then finally, our most recent match was a 2-1 defeat to Fiorentina on Friday. And this was yet another disappointing result because once again, we conceded in stoppage time. A 1-1 draw would have been a great result because Fiorentina are near the top of the Primavera Uno table. This wasn't the most entertaining of matches. Neither side created many opportunities to score. Fiorentina opened the scoring midway through the first half after a really nice play by Filippo Di Stefano to set up the goal. He was a Fiorentina player that really impressed me last season, and he impressed me again in this match. Bilal Sally equalized relatively early in the second half. That was his first goal in an Azzurri shirt, so he was pretty pumped about that. And then after the Napoli goal, Napoli looked quite content to play for a draw. Again, Fiorentina are a top team, and this match was played in Firenze, so that would have been a decent result. I thought for sure we would get at least a point, maybe all three after Costantino Favazzulli was shown a straight red card for a violent retaliation on Benedetto Barba. So Fiorentina were forced to play the last six minutes plus stoppage time with only 10 men. Unfortunately, they managed to score the winner in the 93rd minute which was really heartbreaking. That was actually the fourth time this season we've dropped points after conceding a goal in stoppage time. I mentioned the draw to Milan already. Earlier in the season, we conceded a winner to Frosinone in the 91st minute, and we conceded a winner to Sassuolo in the 93rd minute or 94th minute, I believe. That means we've dropped five points this season from conceding goals in stoppage time. Now, mind you, We also scored a 90th minute penalty kick to beat Cesena, and we scored a 93rd minute equalizer against Sampdoria, so we've also stolen three points in stoppage time. Nevertheless, we probably should have two points more than we currently do, and those two points could actually be really important. With that loss to Fiorentina, we're now 15th in the table, which is in the relegation playoff zone. We're on 16 points, which is only one point behind Atalanta, Inter, and Milan, who are all on 17 points. So had we not dropped those two extra points, we'd actually be 12th in the table instead of 15th. Okay, I need to catch my breath after all that, so I'm going to throw it over to you, Danny, just to get some general thoughts on the Primavera so far this season, or as I said, if there are any individuals who have stood out to you so far. Yeah, no, for the Primavera, you can tell, especially from last year, they're, I feel like they declined a little bit, especially without Giuseppe Ambrosino, who 
was a top goal scorer, who's a very uh, highly rated prospect in the Napoli U system. Gioffi, he he was in and out too, uh, but he was big. The Agostino and uh, Vigalia too. For me, last season I thought he was. Uh, you can argue him and Ambrosino back and forth were the two best Napoli Primavera players. Very talented player, and you can see the potential in them. Especially, uh, I caught glimpses of him uh, just through highlights and stuff. Cause it's very hard to watch uh, Serie C games uh, here, but he he looks like he's going to be a, a very good one and. For me, some players that stood out to me, Gioli, he's been doing well this season. He's got, I believe, five goals. He's popped in here and there. He's been playing really well. Alatusi, for me, Joe, you know me. Uh, once we got this guy from Barcelona, and so I go, okay, this guy's coming from Barcelona. He can't be that bad, can he? He was their captain. He was a very highly rated prospect, too, in their system, but he just suffered a very bad injury, I believe, a couple of years ago, and he just never really found that form, but it looks like he's getting into that form. He's been doing really well for the uh, Napoli's Primavera, and I feel like he's been one of their best players this season, one, maybe one and a player to look out for, especially in this up-and-coming summer where and Napoli do call up some of these Primaveras to train with them. Maybe in the summer you can see him on the preseason squad. Spavone's been doing really well. Um, I really like the way he's been playing. Uh, I've always liked this kid. I feel like he was going to be Hopefully he could become something because he's a player that I feel like he can provide a dynamic spark when called upon. So maybe we'll see him on uh, maybe a Serie C team, maybe a Serie B team next season. And another guy too that I had high hopes for, but he hasn't really been impressing me too much. Uh, I felt like he could do a little bit better. Antonio Pesce. For me, I felt like this kid could probably fill the roles of Ambrosino because he of just what he can bring to the table. Last season, he showed signs that he can provide a spark here and there. He showed good quality in him. But this season, I've been a little bit disappointed with him. Uh, he hasn't really found the right form. And also to Leonardo Rossi, when we signed him for Milan, I go, this kid's got some talent, you know? But it seems like there's a lot of times where he's just lacking that. He's like kind of like uh, Osimhen too. He can score two or three goals a game, but there's times where he just can't provide that final finish and he's someone that I feel like if he can start gets going I feel like he could be a very good player for Napoli because it'll provide a number nine that can finish and the goalkeeper too uh, Borfelli too I feel like he's been doing really well this season uh, there's a lot of times where I go holy cow this guy can make saves and I feel like he could be hey he might be better than the third option on our on Napoli right now too because I just said last season too he was doing really well I thought he should have been on loan too, I just like as well. But Borfelli, who knows if this kid, maybe this kid could be the future of Napoli. Who knows? Because this kid's showing a lot of good signs. So there's a, a few pieces here and there that I've been impressed with Napoli. Obviously, don't like them sitting at 15th because of just the town. I feel like they can be a lot better. And there's been games too, like you said, mentioned Joe, that they dropped points literally in the last minute of the games. So for me, I feel like there's a lot of good pieces coming up, especially because of our, I believe our under-17 team, I want to say maybe two, three years ago, they won the league. So a lot of those players are going to start coming up too. So Napoli, hopefully they can continue to develop on their youth because there's a few good pieces that I see here that can either help us in the future or who knows, maybe could become very good players. But they got to do a lot better. Uh, and just, it's going to be a big second half of the season uh, coming up because there's some big games coming up. And a lot of points are, are there for us to take. That was fantastic. You actually touched on a lot of the players that I was going to mention as well. So I'll elaborate on some of the points that you made. Just a quick point on last season. It was a bit of an odd one because we had an amazing first half of the season and then just a dreadful second half of the season. So we only survived by winning the uh, playout. But yeah, I mean... Ambrosino, Trophy, D'Agostino Vergara, Sacco was another player who stepped yeah. up for us last season. There's a reason why they've all been loaned out to mostly Serie clubs, Ambrosinos and Serie B. Actually, he just returned from his loan at Como and now he's on loan. Uh, Cittadella, which yeah. hopefully he'll get to play more there because he really didn't get much of an opportunity. At it Como. was weird too because at Como, I believe they had the coach was named Gattuso as well, which is fine enough. But then they got in the, the old Torino coach, Lungo, I think his name was. And then he started playing them more because under, I, I think it was Gattuso, was his name. He really didn't play. And then Lungo uh, played them. 
I believe his first game that he got subbed on, he scored and then he started playing well. But I guess just because of just the age, just where well, we're almost seeing the standings. And it's funny enough that they loaned them to Cittadella, who have the same record, I believe. And I think they have this problem with goal scoring as well. I would like to see Ambrosino get a lot more games. Um, I'm really pulling for him because I feel like this kid's he's got talent. He's got an eye for goal. He led the Primavera scoring. He he was unbelievable when playing for the under-19s. Uh, he was him and uh, Baldanzi to Maletti were playing well. They they played well for the under-19s past summer. So I'm really pulling for him, and hopefully he can uh, find his form at uh, Cittadella. Yeah, and then on the goalkeepers, that's a position where we seem to be doing really well at, at finding and developing talent. Like you mentioned, Didasek, who was great last season. I completely agree. He should have been loaned. There were talks about a possible transfer to Poland. I, d- I don't know why they didn't do that. Bofeldi looks very good. So I think we're pretty set at the goalkeeper position. What's interesting is I feel like 2023 has been an opportunity. Maybe it was the long break or whatever it was, but guys who didn't get much opportunities in the first part of the season are now getting opportunities and some of them are taking it. Like you mentioned, Leonardo Rossi. Yeah, on the whole probably has been disappointing, but in the last couple of matches, I've actually been really impressed with him. Like he looks like, to your point, you could see the talent is there. He has, you know, a striker's instinct. He has a great touch. He has a fantastic left foot. So he's starting to put the pieces together. You mentioned Jorge Alastui, who I knew was the guy that you were going to bring. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know how uh, how much you like him, and, and with good reason, right? Like, he's, you know, you don't play for Barcelona's youth system if you're not talented. I think he had an injury there that slowed him down, and maybe that's why they kind of parted ways. But he's played himself into the starting 11. At the beginning, he was really just used as a bench option. We saw him mostly playing in the UEFA Youth League, because Nicolo Frustalupi rotated heavily for those youth league matches. But now he's a regular starter. And for those who don't know, the Primavera play with a 3-4-2-1 formation, which is a bit odd considering that the senior team don't use that formation. But I guess Frustalupi seems to get the most out of his team in that formation. Alistui was being used occasionally as a trequartista, but he seems to excel playing in the center of that midfield four alongside Francesco Gioielli, who you mentioned. If I had to pick a position for him to play on the senior team, it would definitely be as a regista. I think yeah. like Lobotka, he has that low center of gravity, so he can turn very easily on the ball, and he's an excellent distributor of the ball. Another player who has really impressed me in the last few matches is Bilal Sali. He joins from Genoa in the summer, but struggled to get into the starting lineup as well. And I really like this signing because I saw him play for Genoa last season and he impressed me there. But like Alastui, he's now played himself into the starting 11 and he's making the most of the opportunity as well. I think he's been helped out somewhat by the absence of Gennaro Iaccarino, who's missed the last couple of matches due to injury. Iaccarino usually plays in that center of the midfield four, so his absence opened up a spot for Alastui and then that freed up a spot for Sally at Trequartista. I mentioned Sally scored his first goal in the loss to Fiorentina. He's also been a great playmaker for us lately. He has a tendency to drift wide and then he drives towards the byline and cuts the ball back into the area. Both of the goals he scored against Juventus were from that exact play. He played the pass before the pass on one of the goals and then he assisted on the second goal. He should have gotten an assist from the exact same play in the Coppa Italia match, but somehow Spavone fired over the bar from close range. You mentioned Spavone as well. With his brace against Juve, Spavone now leads the team in goals. Tied with Gioielli, they both have five goals, and they're both having far better seasons than I was expecting them to. But I actually wouldn't be surprised if Leonardo Rossi ended up being our top scorer at the end of the season. And I completely agree with you. The last player I want to chat about is uh, Antonio Pesce, who I've been really disappointed with as well. He was given the monumental task, let's be honest, of replacing Giuseppe Ambrosino, who scored 20-plus goals last season. But Pesce has not even come close to filling in those boots. He hasn't scored a single goal this season, and now he finds himself on the bench playing behind Rossi. So that is the latest on the Primavera. It was a bit of a quick update, but I'll continue to provide updates as the season goes on. Danny, we're just about out of time, but any final thoughts before we wrap it up? 
yeah, just um, I'm happy with the way Napoli's been playing so far. I think I can speak for most of us uh, when we say like we all are. Hopefully they can continue this because it's you can tell this team's a special team, like the way they've been playing and just the joy that a lot of fans have watching them. So I'm just happy with the way they're playing. Hopefully they can continue. And going back to our points, hopefully the Primavera can find their form, get out of that like relegation spot because it's gonna it's tough when a team gets relegated to Primavera too because it's again the coverage there too it's not as big it's very hard to find and they got some pieces so hopefully this second half of the season you can say the second half of the season hopefully they can find their form and finish maybe between 10 and 8 or something hopefully they can find that form yeah absolutely I think you know, when you're playing in Primavera Dua, it's a lot harder to attract talented players because obviously they want to play in Primavera Uno. I'm hopeful that they'll have a better second half to the season. I think one of the challenges was that they had to play six more games than most teams because they were playing in the youth league, which I get how the tournament is structured. Basically, if the senior team qualifies for the Champions League, then so does the Primavera. But that really did not help us. So even though we yeah. rotated heavily in those matches, I think now we're back on a bit of a normal schedule. Hopefully, Frustalupi can uh, see this team to survival. Okay, so that is where we'll leave it. You can find Danny on Twitter at Danny underscore 1007 underscore. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Forza Napoli pod. I will be back soon to preview the big match, the next big match. I feel like every match is a big one now, yeah. but the next big match, which is on Sunday against Roma. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.